0: Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we are in the conclusion of what has been a wonderful sermon series entitled Triumph. We have been working our way through the first few chapters of the book of Joshua, and we are learning how to live victorious lives. Well, we have transitioned with Joshua through the death of Moses. We've seen his obedience to the Lord time and time again. We've crossed over the Jordan River with the children of Israel. We've come to Gilgal. We've been to the places of consecration. And now we come to the mighty walls of Jericho. And in today's sermon, you are going to hear how the walls fell flat for the people of Israel. And you are going to learn how God can work mighty wonders in your life, and God can bring victory into the situations of your life, into the walls of Jericho in your life. I'm so glad you're listening today to this edition of Awakened to Grace. I want to invite you to go to Joshua chapter six. Those of you that have been following following us through this series, you know that we've been working our way through the first few chapters of Joshua, and we've been in a wonderful series that we've entitled Triumph. If you've missed part of this series, I wanna invite you to download our free mobile app. It's called Awakened to Grace You can go to your app store or your Google Play, wherever you get your apps, and download Awakened to Grace. You can always go to our websites, preachingchristchurch.com or awakenedtograce.com. And you can follow any of our past sermon series. Uh, You can read articles. You can listen to the music that we do. You can find so much uh, through those resources. And as you're spending time at home, as uh, there's not very many places to go, I want to encourage you, especially families, take advantage of this time. How many of us are on what so many call the rat race How many of us go at too fast of a pace? How many of us, um, we've just been, we've been too busy, quite frankly. We've been too busy for our children. We've been too busy for our marriage. We've been too busy for our close friends. Let's be honest, many of us have been too busy to even spend time with the Lord and what an opportunity we have right now to slow down, to slow down the pace of life. If you have opportunity, I want to encourage you on our app or our website, go back to last summer <clears throat> and listen to the sermon series we did called The Unhurried Life. And take advantage of this time that you have with your family Take advantage of the time you have to study God's word and to once again uh, reevaluate what is important to you in your life. Um, <clears throat> someone well said, don't ever uh, miss an opportunity of a crisis. And even in the midst of this crisis, there is opportunity. And uh, you have an opportunity to. Really invest your time well and invest it wisely. Well, as we conclude our series, we've been the last uh, four weeks in the book of Joshua. Our theme has been triumph. The premise has been that God most certainly promised the people of Israel that they would, in fact, conquer their enemies and that they would inherit the land. God gave them tremendous promises. But the point is that even though God guaranteed the victory, Israel still had to fight. And what we, what we are going to see today in Joshua chapter 6 is we're going to see this great conquest of the walls of Jericho falling under the power of God. But before we see the power of God in action... There are certain details that Israel had to follow. And what I want to share with you today is certainly the power of God can be in effect in your life. When we pray as Christians, the Bible does not tell us to pray hope-so prayers. The Bible doesn't tell us to cross our fingers and maybe or just perhaps or if we are lucky that God will hear hear our prayers and that God will come through and God will move in our behalf. No, the Bible never teaches that. The Bible teaches that when you and I pray, we ought to pray in complete confidence and so I asked the question, why in your life, why does it feel sometimes in my life like I am staring up at the walls of Jericho and yet they don't fall? And just to be honest, what the Lord is showing me in my life and my situation is that I often expect the walls to fall, but what I don't do is I don't go through the process. If you've been with us through this series, then you see the great transition in chapter 1, and you see how they send uh, the spies out in chapter 2, and then you see in chapters 3 and 4, as they cross the Jordan River, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves. The Lord's not going to do great miracles in your life. You're not going to see the power of God at work in your life if you're not consecrated unto the Lord. And I want to say this carefully, but I want to say it with great biblical authority. I want to say it with pastoral authority. If you are not right with God in this hour, in this day in which we live, my friend, i to be getting right with God. If you're living in an affair, you expect God to help you and protect you in the midst of this crisis you're living foolishly. If you are stealing from your employer, if you're stealing money, or you're a person of deceit, you always lie, you withhold the truth, and at your heart, you are a deceiver. My friend, you are foolish if you think that God is going to wink at your sin and pretend as though it is not there. If ever in our lifetime that there was a day to be right with God, my friend, today is the day. And if you're watching or you're listening, wherever you are and you are not right with God, my friend, I would not let the hour go by that I did not get right with God. We are living in a serious day and God is looking for people with serious faith. Is that you? Is that your family? So we see, as we've come through all of these chapters of Joshua, there is obedience that God expects from his people. Before they crossed the Jordan in Joshua chapter 3, the people had to consecrate themselves. When God did the tremendous miracle of dividing the waters of Jordan and nearly two million people crossed over on dry ground rather than going through the momentum and charging the walls of Jericho. No, once again, God said, consecrate yourselves. And the people circumcised themselves and waited weeks to heal. They obeyed the Lord And then they observed Passover, and there the manna stopped. And then we see Joshua at the end of chapter 5, where we were last week, and this is where we left Joshua. He was with Jesus Christ himself, the captain of the host of the armies of the Lord. And he spent time alone with God. See, my friends, this is what I want you to see. Many of us are waiting on the walls of Jericho to fall, but Have we spent time alone with God? Are we observing the things in our life that are holy unto the Lord the way they observed Passover? Are we obeying God at Gilgal? Has the reproach of sin rolled off of us the way the reproach of Egypt rolled off of the people of God? Have we consecrated ourselves the way the people did before Jericho? Before I'm sorry, before Jordan. The point is that between Joshua chapter one and Joshua chapter six, there was a great process of great obedience. And I guess my question, not only to you, but to myself, is am I just walking up to the walls of Jericho hoping they fall or have I obeyed the Lord in every detail of my life? Am I walking through the process on my way to what God wants to do in my life? Well, let's look at Joshua chapter 6 today. For those of you who are new to our ministry, you may not know I'm a blind pastor, and that's why I don't preach with a Bible. Uh, I understand that when people watch our videos, I'm sure one of the questions, if they don't know me, They think, well, why does he not have a Bible? And it's because I'm unable to see anything. So I do my best to memorize the text. And uh, like I've done so far through the book, I'm going to try to walk you through chapter 6. I hope that you'll take an actual Bible or you'll pull it up on your phone or device. And I hope that you'll follow along with me and see for yourself uh, what the Scriptures have to say. So let's look at Joshua chapter 6. If you notice verse 1, the Bible is going to begin by telling us that the gates of Jericho were completely shut up for fear of the people of Israel. The Bible says no one went in and no one came out. They were completely closed. (laughs) The people were quarantined. We know a little bit about that right now, don't we? very serious, very severe. See, these people, they knew what God had done for the people of Israel. They knew that God had dried up the Jordan. They knew that God had divided the Red Sea. They knew that the God of Israel was a God of wonders. And they were afraid and they had good reason to be afraid. So notice what the Lord has to say to Joshua. Now, This is very personal to me, and I take this very much to heart. And I hope that the Spirit of God is going to teach you many things in today's talk. Listen to what the Lord tells Joshua. He says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given you the city. Now listen to this. Notice the tense in which the Lord speaks he says, not I will give, <laughs> no, I have given. It's in a perfect tense. Scholars call that a prophetic perfect tense. I have given. The old translations use the word reckon." I have reckoned this. Now that is a wonderful word. It's also used in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. The word reckon is actually a very beautiful word. And what it literally means is to make a deposit. (laughs) Now I want you to think about this. How many of us in our lives we know the promises of God? We know that God is faithful to his word. We know that God has many promises in the Bible. You know, you think about people like Joshua, you know, they, they only had what promise that God had given them. Abraham had but only one promise from the Lord. Joshua has this one promise that God's going, as God was with Moses, God was going to be with him. But with us, with the full word of God, scholars tell us that there are some 7,000 promises in the Bible for for me and you today. Some 7,000 promises to take God at his word. And what the word reckon means, for God to say, I have given you the city, it doesn't just mean that you believe the promise of God, because many Christians today believe God's promises. But it goes a step further. The word reckon literally means to deposit. So think about this. I could give you a check today. I could give you a check And you could receive that check. You could fold it up and put it in your wallet. You could put it in your pocket. You could throw it into a drawer. But what good is that check if you don't endorse it and take it to the bank? How much good is that check going to give you if you do not deposit that into your account? And I want you to think about this. Many of us today, we're living our Christian lives. We're walking by faith. We're trying to honor the Lord. We're trying to please the Lord. But when it comes to the very real, the very tangible promises of God, that the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. All of the promises of God are ours in Jesus. And we may believe them. We may receive the word. We may receive receive it as a check but how many of us deposit it into the bank how many of us make good on the promises of God how many of us live a life that so says God I believe your word to the point I'm going to act as though it's already done because I've deposited this into my account hallelujah did you live that way Do you live in such a state of faith that you live as though God's already done what God has promised that he shall do? That's faith, my friends. Faith is not sitting there twiddling your thumbs and going, one day in the by and by, God's gonna do what he says. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah, when the Bible says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know what the word wait there really means? See, in our culture, we think of wait as in sitting around and doing nothing. No. The word wait there is actually where we get our English word for waiting tables, for serving. The word wait there literally means to serve. In other words, while you're waiting on God, while you're trusting in the promise, while you know God's active and God is working, but yet you do not see the promise fulfilled yet, what are you to be doing? Are you to sit on a spiritual couch and eat spiritual Cheetos? No. No. You are to wait. You are to serve tables. You are to serve God. Waiting equals serving. And as you serve God, do you know what you're doing? You are reckoning the promises of God into your faith account. What you are doing is saying, God, not only do I believe your promise, I act on your promise. I obey your promise not only do I believe it, but I receive it. For what did Jesus tell us in Mark 11? What did he say about faith? Jesus said, You receive it as you believe it. That doesn't make sense, does it? You don't, in other words, Jesus says, You have before you've really re- even received. See, in God's kingdom, In the realm of faith, this doesn't work in the realm of logic. This is the realm of faith. We have it before we ever see it. Many of you know my story. Many of you know that I am believing God to open my eyes. I'm believing that one day in God's calendar, one day in God's divine and sovereign plan, the scales are going to fall from my eyes. Now, I don't know how and I don't know when. But see, that's not for me to know. Do you understand? I I, I don't get frustrated. I don't get, um, I don't despair because I don't know when God is going to make good on this promise. It's not for me to know. What I'm to do is I am to receive it by faith. What I'm to do is to deposit the promises of God into my life to where I don't just simply believe it. Oh, oh, one day, one day, maybe God will. No, I'm saying one day, as I've received the promise of God, I'm depositing it in, into my account. I am receiving the promises of God. And now, I'm not anxious. Now I'm truly learning patience in my life. And now I know more so than ever in my life what David meant when he says, I wait upon the Lord and I wait all the day Long. I never understood what that meant until this season of my life. And do you know what I'm finding, my friends? I'm finding that it is a joy to wait upon the Lord because I'm learning how to wait. I don't wait as in twiddling my thumbs. I don't wait as in sitting on the couch. I don't wait as in being panicked or fretful or anxious, I wait by serving. See, what I'm doing right now today, sharing the Word of God with you, as sometimes difficult as it is to not be able to see or read or study like I used to study, or go through my commentaries like I used to or jump online and research things and as difficult as that is it's harder now than what it was before I'm finding it more joyful to share the word of God with you because what am I doing I'm waiting on the Lord but am I doing nothing no I'm I'm serving I'm waiting I'm serving And I'm taking the very great and precious promises of God and I am depositing them into my account. I not only want to believe the promises of God, I want to receive them. I want to deposit them to where they're truly mine because I know what they are. They are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. So God tells Joshua, see, I have given prophetic, perfect tense. I have given Jericho into your hand. What does that tell us? It tells us, friends, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory victory we don't fight hoping in a good outcome we fight because we already know the outcome and what i'm learning in my life is the process is becoming so sweet the fellowship with the lord is so sweet the patience That the Holy Spirit is bearing His, His fruit of patience in my life. I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm being as transparent in this pulpit as I can possibly be. The fruits of the Holy Spirit and that fruit of patience has become so sweet to me that I don't worry about the outcome anymore. I don't worry, Uh, you know. uh, In my humanity, there's some days that I'll I'll think, you know, Lord, have you forgotten your promises to me? Will 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 you ever open my eyes? But it's not out of despair. I'll often tell the Lord, Lord, even if you don't open my eyes, I'm so content. I'm so satisfied in you. I'm so pleased. I'm so happy. I'm so joyful with the life that you've given me. But see, I'm just trying to be honest with you right now. The opening of my eyes really doesn't have anything to do with me at this point. See, I'm content with vision or without. I'm satisfied with eyesight and I'm satisfied without it. I'm at peace whether I can see or whether it's darkness. For me, it no longer matters. But I believe that just as the walls of Jericho fell flat for the glory of God, I believe my eyes will one day come open for the very glory of God. But for me, it doesn't matter because the Lord is teaching me about his very great and precious promises. And I'm telling you, my friends, it's sustaining me. Hallelujah. Do you live your life in a perfect present tense? Do you live your life in this perfect prophetic tense tense? That the things that God has promised you, they are yes and amen in Jesus. The Bible tells us in James, and I want you to take this serious. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. For how can that person expect to receive anything from the Lord? The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that it takes faith to please the Lord. And those who come to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe that God is a rewarder? Do you believe that God uh, is who he says he is? Do you take God at his word in your life, in your very situation, or are you double-minded? Maybe God will, maybe God won't, maybe God's listening, perhaps he's not. No, may the Lord help us in those times of weakness, and may he grow our faith as never before. So the Lord tells Joshua, see, I have given you I've already deposited I have reckoned unto you I've given you I have already promised and it's already done I've given you the city hallelujah now not only do we see number one the deposit my question is are you actively depositing the promises of God into your life or do you just simply believe them Number two, we see the details. Now, God is going to tell Joshua precisely what he wants. God is going to tell Joshua to take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to take uh, the priest, to take the shofars, the rams, horns, and to take a certain number of men of war and to march around the city. The Lord is very precise in his detail. He says to march around the walls of the city one time per day for six days and on the seventh day to march around the walls of the city seven times on the seventh day blowing seven ram's horns and after the final long blast of the ram's horn to give a shout. (laughs) Now, If you're going into war, how would you like to have that as your war plan? It doesn't sound like a very uh, effective strategy, does it? Now, we don't know the population of the city of Jericho. Uh, A couple chapters later, as they take another city, the Bible does tell us the population was only 12,000. I can't imagine that Jericho was uh, much more than that. Perhaps more, but not much more, I wouldn't think. But to obey a set of plans that didn't include more of a military strategy than this, does it not seem odd to you? But here's what I want you to see. Joshua obeyed the details of the Lord word for word. I want you to note this, and I want you to to really think about this in your life. Obedience follows details. So in other words, perhaps you don't know what to do right now. Maybe you're in a season. You don't know what the Lord wants. You don't know what the Lord expects of you. Perhaps you've not gotten alone with God as Joshua did at the end of chapter 5 last week. Perhaps you've not really gotten alone with God and gotten the details... of what he wants out of your life. If you can get alone with God and God tell you the details of what you ought to be doing right now, of how he wants you to live, of what he wants you to do, where he wants you to go, who he wants you to talk to, whatever the case, when you know the details, then you obey those details. You obey the Lord, whether they are in small details or large details. Small things in life, large things in life obedience follows details and listen victory follows obedience it is obedience that god blesses we see that all through the book of joshua up to this point because joshua was so obedient in every detail that god told him god was able to bless him and give supernatural, divine favor upon his life, upon the people, because Joshua was quick to obey. Can that be said of you? Are you quick to obey the Lord? There may be things the Lord told you to do years ago that you have not yet done. Can you see why the walls haven't fallen yet? There may be details that God spoke to you about in your 20s or in your 30s or in your 40s and you've still yet to do them. Then can God fully bless you today until you do those small details? That's what stands out to me in our study of Joshua so far is that Joshua is constantly obeying the Lord in every single detail. And here when the Lord gives him a battle plan. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I didn't realize this until earlier today. And I was thinking about the city that Israel's is going to capture that's only 12,000 people. They're going to completely destroy it. They're going to burn it down to the ground and had a population of 12,000. Uh, let's say Jericho maybe, maybe had a population of 20,000. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Really think about this. When the, 10, when the 12 spies went out and spied the land at Kadesh Barnea, they were gone for 40 days and then they come back and they give an evil report. They tell Moses and all the people of Israel, they say, no, the walls are fortified. The cities are fortified. The, they're giants in the land. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way that we can take the land. I want you to think about this. Scholars tell us that there's a million to two million Israelites at this point. There's a census of the army given in the book of Numbers that tells us there were 600,000 men of war in Israel. When they crossed Jordan... Joshua designates 40,000 men of war just for Jericho. 40,000 men of war. When they go up against Ai, it's so small, they only send out 3,000 men of war. Say, Chad, what's your point? My point is Israel had numbers. 600,000 men of war? You're talking about a city of 12,000 people? How much more insulting was it to the Lord that the people, number one, didn't have faith in the promises of God, but number two, they had their sheer numbers. And yet the the 12 spies, 10 of them says, no, we can't do this. It had to have been incredibly insulting to the Lord God Almighty. Not only did they not have faith, they had no faith. It's remarkable to me. And then let's flip it and, and, and think about this. If you're Joshua and you have 600,000 men of war and you've already designated 40,000 men just for the city of Jericho, how easy would it have been to just simply sack the city? Just say, overrun it. Beat the gates down. See, Joshua knew God wasn't in numbers. Hear me right now. God wasn't in the numbers. God was in the details. He was in the obedience. And so it is in our lives. God is in the details, He's in the obedience. If you and I will hear the details, that God wants for our life, and we obey them while we're waiting. We're, remember, we're serving tables. We're waiting. We're serving. We're obeying the Lord. I'm telling you, great victory will come into our lives. So watch the details that God gave. You remember the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago when we were crossing Jordan with Israel? Do you remember we said in chapters three and four, as they crossed the Jordan River, the Ark of the Covenant was mentioned 16 times. Well, it's mentioned eight times in chapter six in the walls coming down at Jericho. What's the point? Again, the heavy emphasis is on the presence of the Lord. That Ark of the Covenant was the literal, the manifested presence of God in their midst. And this again tells us they relied on the presence of God in their midst. So here were the details. They were to take seven priests, seven ram's horns. Now this is very important because Israel used two types of trumpets, okay? You remember weeks ago back in February in the series called Battling Unbelief, you remember we did a sermon entitled Worldliness as Unbelief and we saw the silver trumpets that the Lord told Moses to make and they made two silver trumpets, uh, two types of these silver trumpets and when they gave uh, a short blast, that meant that, that, um, that it, 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 they, they sounded an alarm, if my memory serves me, right? It meant that it was time for war. If they gave a long blast, that told the people it's time to move. The whole encampment was about to move. Remember, they had the pillar of uh, fire by night. They had the cloud by day, and wherever it moved, the whole camp moved. Imagine what it took to move a million to two million people, how slow of a process that was. Well, the Lord used trumpets to do that. Uh, A trumpet call also declared war, declared war. But now this is highly interesting. Again, you can't miss the details of the Bible. They are so important. Now, I want you to note this. Now, remember, there's two types of trumpets. There are the silver trumpets that we read about in Numbers chapter 10, and then there are the ram's horns. In the Hebrew, they're called shofars. Even today in many churches, uh, people will often use a ram's horn, a shofar, and they'll blow this this large uh, ram's horn, and it meant victory, (laughs) quite extraordinary. Uh, one of my great friends and, and prayer partners is Randy Reese. And oh my, this brother, he has such a, I, I don't even call it a ministry of prayer. I call it a life of prayer. And my great friend, Randy Reese, he's such a prayer warrior And Randy and I gather very often and he reads scripture to me where I'm blind. Randy will come and spend time with me and he'll read the promises of God's word. Oh, you don't know what that means to me. And he'll just spend time reading the Bible to me. And, and, and my friend Randy, we pray together, and he has this large shofar. And I'm telling you, when my friend Randy blows that ram's horn, when he blows the shofar, I can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's biblical. <laughs> and right here it is in Joshua chapter 6. Why did they not use the silver trumpets? Why did they not blow the trumpet of war? This is very, you can't miss this. They didn't blow the trumpet of war because God wasn't declaring war. God was declaring victory. And when you blow the shofar, it is jubilee. It means we declare triumph. It means that we declare the victory of God over whatever situation. And what God is telling Joshua is you don't declare war because the victory is already won. I've already given you the city. And when they blew the ram's horns, they weren't declaring war. They were declaring victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the same is true in your life. The same is true in my life. We don't fight for the victory. We fight because the victory has already been guaranteed. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumphal procession. The book of Corinthians tells us. Hallelujah. So do you live this way? Do you live in this kind of victory? Do you live in this kind of triumph? Do you live in this kind of expectation? (coughs) Often you will find it in the details. They obeyed the details of the Lord. So here's what he says Seven priests, seven ram's horns, the ark of the covenant mentioned eight times in this chapter. the whole time that they walk around the city walls, they're blowing the ram's horn, they're sounding that great decree of victory. And the Lord said, here's what you're to do. You're to march around the city one time per day, once a day, and then come back to the camp. You're not to say a word. Now think about that. We're talking details, church. God told them, don't even speak a word. Don't even let a word come out of your mouth. Oof. Now, Now, follow me here. We said in the book of Numbers, at Kadesh Barnea, I believe that's Numbers 23, perhaps 24. We said in the book of, of Numbers, they, at Kadesh Barnea, They would not take the land. They would not obey the promises of God. I mean, they had had incredible numbers compared to these walled cities, okay? And only Joshua and Caleb said we could take the land. The other 10 spies, no. So God punished them for 40 years. Now that Joshua is in charge and now that he has the numbers, think about this. The discipline That it took on Joshua's behalf to obey the details of the Lord. Joshua could have sent every man of war just for good measure. But did he do that? Mm -mm. No. He only needed a few. (coughs) And not that he needed them to fight. He just needed a procession. He just needed to have some men to do what God wanted done. Think of the discipline that that took not to send everyone, but to say, No, God says to do it this way. And so, around the massive walls, the procession went. Can you imagine what went through the minds and the hearts of the people of Jericho on day one? I bet they were quite frightened. As they heard the blast of the seven horns, I bet the people shuddered. They knew that God was a God of wonders. They knew he had dried up the waters. They knew that God had fed the people. They knew that God was a God of miracles. And no doubt they were so scared that first day. Israel marches around the city. Historians tell us about nine acres. Historians tell us it probably would have taken this procession 25 to 30 minutes to march around the entire city wall. What do the people do? They come home. They come back and they encamp for the night. Day two, same thing. Not a word spoken. They march around the city. They end, they come home. Day three, the same. By day three, I wonder what the people began to think. I wonder what the people of Jericho began to think by day three, by day four. No doubt they began to think, this is who we're afraid of? This is silly. Well, they're not doing anything. They're just marching. They're just blowing silly horns. What do they think they're doing? This makes no sense. Friends, you and I can never forget, while we love strength, while we love to feel in control and we love plans and we love our strategies. You You know what God loves? He chooses the foolish and the weak things of this world to confound the wise. God uses foolish things. He uses weak things. Today, if you say, Chad, I feel weak, you're a perfect candidate for God to use. For Paul says, it's in weakness that I am made strong. God perfects his strength in me in my weaknesses. God uses foolish things. He uses, he's going to use the seven ram's horns of Joshua. He's going to use the torches of Gideon. And the Midianites, he's going to use the sling of David against the mighty giant Goliath. It's the small, it's the weak, it's the foolish things that God uses to confound the wise. Hallelujah. And so, they march around the city for six consecutive days. Now, remember, we're talking about details, The Lord tells Joshua, seven horns, seven priests, one time a day for six days. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times, blowing the seven ram's horns. Now, was this accidental? Absolutely not. God loves details. The number seven is woven throughout the entire history of the people of Israel. And it's laced throughout the entire Bible for us. The Lord loves the number seven. The actual number seven in the Hebrew language speaks of completeness, fullness. Listen to this. Satisfying. The number seven is used all through the Bible. God created the world in six days. And on the Seventh, he rested. (coughs) There are seven promises within Abraham's covenant. There were seven ram's horns used in the fall of the walls of Jericho, there were seven branches to the golden candlestick of the Lord. Even in the book of Revelation, there are seven churches written to. There are seven bowls of judgment. There are seven seals of judgment. All throughout the Bible, even there are seven years of tribulation, all throughout the Bible, God highlights the number seven. Even in the seventh year of Sabbath, on the 49th year, the seven times seven years comes the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. God loves the number seven. And there's great significance to it throughout the Bible. But see, here's the point obedience follows the details. When you know the details, You can obey the details. Do you know the details of what God wants from you right now? Do you know exactly what God wants you to be doing in this season of your life, at this stage of your life? Have you gotten alone with God? As the Bible says in Psalms, be still and know that I am the Lord. Have you done that? Perhaps this time of quarantine. Perhaps this time of everything shutting down, from restaurants to movie theaters to shopping centers, perhaps to even churches, perhaps in this unprecedented time that we're living in, that everything is closed. Could you not steal away with the Lord? Could you not get alone with God? Could you not be still and learn what God has? for your life in this moment, in this season? (coughs) So Joshua is going to obey every detail that the Lord gives him, every detail. We see the number seven woven in and out all throughout this story. Well, we see number one, the deposit, Joshua deposited the promises of God he reckoned them he reckoned them he deposited them we see number two the details and the great obedience that Joshua had lastly today we see the great deliverance the deposit of the promise the details of the promise and lastly the great deliverance on the promise well these walls are gonna fall let me tell you for a moment about these walls Archaeologists tell us that it's the oldest walls ever discovered in the history of archaeology. And they know a lot about it. And here's what they tell us. They tell us that Jericho was actually built upon a large mound. Now, it's very strategic. If an army, if an invader is going to try to take the city what they are going to have to do is fight going uphill. That gives Jericho an immediate advantage. Not only was the city built on a large mound uphill, there was a thick ditch built around the city. So you would actually have to go down into a ditch and then back up the mound in order to try to siege the city. The outer wall, the city was actually made of two walls. The outer wall was, archaeologists tell us, were six feet thick. Now think about that. Just the outer retainer wall was six feet thick, 12 to 15 feet high. Our ceilings in this auditorium are about 13 feet tall, so... That was just the outer wall. The inner wall was another beast. The inner wall was 12 feet thick. So the outer wall was 6 feet thick. The inner wall 12 feet thick. Double the thickness. (coughs) Of this wall, while the outer wall was 12 to 15 feet high, the inner wall was about 25 feet high. This is massive. You think about this. In a day of no machinery, where, I mean, this is just an unbelievable uh, structure, a fortified city. Well, within the walls of Jericho was also a watchtower. We talked about that, I think, uh, last week or the week before. A 28-foot watchtower with 22 steps leading up. 28 feet, with it. just even within the walls. This was massive. They tell us that looking up with, with the ditch and with the mound and with the high walls. When you look up at the walls of Jericho, they would have been roughly 30 feet high up in the air. And here's what the Lord said. The Lord said on the seventh day, You're going to march seven times, blowing the ram's horns. And after the final blast, God says, the people are to shout. And when the people shout, the walls are going to fall. So Joshua tells the people, we're going to obey the Lord. And you're to shout because God has given you the city see there he goes again talking in that perfect tense god has given you the city and the bible says in chapter 6 verse 20 the people they marched they blew the ram's horn that great blast remember the ram's horn was not a de- it was not a declare of war it was a declare of victory what a difference that will make such a difference in your walk of faith, that it makes such a difference in your daily life. Do you live for victory or do you live out of victory because of victory? And on that final great blast of victory in verse 20, the Bible says, the Bible didn't say the people gave a shout. The Bible says the people gave a great shout. And as they gave the great shout, the Bible says, the walls fell flat. And here we are thousands of years later and we're still talking about it to this day. The walls fell, my friend. The walls fell. And what those 10 spies could not believe God for back then Joshua believed God for then, and the whole people believed God. Preaching Christ Church, what would happen if we as a people believed God? What would happen if not just our leaders believed God, but all of the people? What would happen if all of our congregation, what would happen if all of our families truly believed God? I'm telling you, we would see walls come down. We would see God do the impossible. Hallelujah. And while you're not facing an actual city today, there's no doubt you're facing hard things, you're facing what in your life are walls of Jericho. I've been transparent in telling you in my blindness, I am facing walls of Jericho. And as I look up at these mighty walls that no one can bring down, no doctor can help me, Friends, I've been to Duke University where the smartest, where the most medically professional people are when it comes to eyes. And no one can help me. No one can bring these walls down. And as I look up at these massive walls of Jericho in my own life, I have to ask myself the question. Am I depositing the promises of God? Am I obeying every detail of the Lord in my life in order to see the great deliverance that God wants to bring? I don't know where you are. I don't know where your faith is. I don't know what you're trusting God for. I don't know what promises God has made you. I don't know what you're believing God to do. But I know this. God is faithful To his word. And if you will reckon. If you will deposit. The promises of God. Into your life. I am telling you. And I am telling you by faith. God will do. What he promised. Amen. And let me just say this as I finish. Mark 11.22. Jesus tells us. Have faith. In God, have faith in God. See, when they were crossing Jordan, they didn't know how they were going to overthrow Jericho. God hadn't told them the plan yet. They, Joshua didn't know until he got alone with God. When they were at Gilgal, they didn't know how God was going to deliver Jericho into their hands. They just knew God said that he would. They didn't have the details yet. They didn't know the plan yet. And listen, you may not know the full plan of God. I'm being transparent. I don't know how God's gonna open my eyes. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't have all those details right now. I don't know what God's going to do or how God's going to do. it. But listen to what Jesus told us. He said, have faith in God. He didn't say have faith in the details. He didn't say have faith in the outcome, did he? See, my faith is not And oh, one day my eyes will come open. I believe they will. But my faith isn't in that. My faith isn't in the outcome of God doing what I want God to do. My faith is in God alone. So whether God, if he were to open my eyes within months or if God doesn't open my eyes for years, again, to me, It doesn't make make a difference because my faith, my joy, my source of hope, my patience, my happiness is simply in God, not in what God will do for me. Where's your faith? Is your faith in the outcome? Perhaps God promised you something years ago and you never saw it take place and so today You've lost faith. Could it be that your faith was really in the outcome of what you wanted instead of in God? Put your faith in God today. And I'm telling you, as you deposit the promises of God into your life, as you obey the details that God tells you to do, you'll see the deliverance of God in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that thousands of years ago, those mighty walls fell down flat to the glory of God. But more than that, I thank you for the details that you gave. I thank you for the ram's horns. I thank you for the priest. I thank you for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. I thank you for the men of war. I thank you that they marched one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched seven times and they gave a great shout. I thank you, God, that you made known unto men your plans and they obeyed. Well, God, not only do I thank you for what you're going to do in my life and in the life of your people. God, I thank you for the details. I thank you for the sanctification which you bring into our lives. I thank you for the patience with which you're giving us. I thank you for the fruits of the Holy Spirit with which you are producing in our lives. I thank you that our lives are bearing much fruit to the glory of God because of the vine, Jesus Christ, and the vine dresser, God Almighty. I thank you for the workings of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, for the process, not just the miracle, but the process. Lord, I want to not only believe your promises, I want to act upon them. I not only want to see what you do <laughs> quite literal, literally and quite spiritually. Lord, I want to wait on you. I want to serve you. I want to serve while I am waiting. And God, I thank you for what you're doing on the earth in this day and this hour. I thank you for all the people who have watched or listened to today's broadcast. I pray, God, that your word will have great effect in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the triumph that's in our lives in Jesus' name, amen.